0: How great is Caitlin's testimony. How good is God. He sent someone up her driveway and knocked on her door. What an amazing God we have. And a lot of you, thank you, Lynn's got an amazing God. And a lot of you have experienced that in your own way. It's maybe not quite so out of the blue, but how good is God that he's there all the time and he seems to show up in a powerful way when we need him most. Well, this morning, it's good to be here, isn't it? Yes. This morning... Um, I'm going to continue sharing with you what we've looked at on and off for the last few weeks about the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms, the songs of the road, the pilgrim songs, the Psalms of travelers. Um, This is a section of scripture if you have missed the last few messages in this series that goes from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 and it's 14 songs which are really the playlists of the people of Israel, of the Jews as they would go and meet in Jerusalem at significant Days. They would go to this holy city of Jerusalem for different feasts. Three times a year, they would obediently follow God's command to go and to worship Him in Jerusalem. And so while they were walking, while they were hiking, while they were trekking, I'm pretty sure there weren't ocean views like this, um, but while they were on the trails, they kept their hearts happy. They kept their eyes fixed on God and on thinking about the things of Him by singing these songs to one another. So some of them are written and they're quite self reflective. Others of them are a bit called in response, like they. Would sing something and someone else would sing something back, but they are really just the playlist, the song list that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And we, as we are living our lives and we're trying to have our hearts fixed on, our hearts and eyes fixed on God and living the full life that He's promised us, these Psalms can help us too. They can have intense meaning as well. And so this week we're looking at Psalm 130. We've looked at Psalm 121, Psalm 128, now we're doing Psalm 130. And next week, or in a fortnight's time, we're going to look at Psalm 133. And the title of my message, which I don't always tell you, but I'm just being really blunt this morning, I'm going to tell you the title of my message is Life is Just Not Fair. Life is Just Not Fair. I have said or heard those words hundreds maybe even thousands of times. Parents, ever heard that phrase? It's just not fair, it's not fair. A child at two or three begins to notice these inequities, if you like. My sister went to bed a little bit later than I did, that's not fair. His portion of ice cream is slightly bigger than mine, it's not fair. They got to do that twice. I've only had one go. I have to have another go before we can go. Otherwise, it's not fair. Some of you can relate to this more closely than others. But, you know, as we grow up, we really never lose this sense of demanding that life be fair. I was in a car park yesterday up at Wollongong Central going to my morning gym at the class, class at the gym, and um, I was running a little bit late, and found the perfect park and so, you know, the park's there and I drove ahead of it, unable to reverse safely into it and as I went ahead and went to reverse, this little tiny car came and zipped in and went into the car spot and everything within me, you know, that injustice, that's not fair. I was here first, that's my park. I felt like that little two-year-old demanding that bigger scoop of ice cream. Life is just not fair. Now, of course, these examples are pretty light And I don't want to make fun of the fact that sometimes we cry out to God that's not fair or life is not fair and there's something really serious going on. It's not my token petty car park. The child who's diagnosed with leukaemia. The family who loses everything in a fire. The person that's promoted at work even though he's a bully. My 40-year-old friend who's diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Life is not fair. People seeking asylum who, are, who deserve to be embraced and welcomed and nurtured and provided for who end up in horrific conditions in an offshore processing facility. Life is just not fair. And so much of the time we take these examples of real unfairness, of real suffering and injustice and we look to God and say, God, where are you? Life is not fair and you're supposed to be a fair God. God. And people often use this unfairness um, to build a case against the existence of God. They don't believe in God at all because if there was a God, things would be fairer apparently. But that logic breaks down if you've ever looked into it. C.S. Lewis found out he began as an atheist and he, he wanted to set out to prove that God didn't exist. And he looked at the examples of suffering and injustice and he talked to people that he studied. He looked at the world full of wickedness. And and as he processed it, and he was an intellectual, he came to the conclusion that if there was no God God at all, we wouldn't expect things to be fair. We wouldn't expect that things should be equal. C.S. Lewis concluded that it's because there is a God that there lies in us a desire to see something in this world that is not here yet. C.S. Lewis conclude that we're created for and ultimately headed towards a world where there is fairness and so that's why now here we long for, we hope for, we desire for that world here. We intuitively know that there should be something that we don't see right here. But life as it is now is not fair. It's not fair. Who would confess to saying that to their kids? It's not fair and you say back, life's not fair. <laughs> Get used to it. It's just the way it is. And I want to suggest to you this morning that in some ways, in some ways, it's a really good thing that God doesn't treat us fairly. So you need to go with me for a bit. But in some ways, it's a good thing that God doesn't treat us fairly. If you've got your Bibles with you or your phones or a device of some kind, if you want to turn to Psalm 130 and follow along this morning, I think you'll find that helpful. Psalm 130, the psalmist says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive, the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness in you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who are watching for the morning, more than those. Who are watching for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. You know, at the heart of this psalm, if you're if you're listening and thinking about it, at the heart of the Psalm, the psalmist says that he's praising God because of God's willingness to not be fair. You see, the psalmist realises that we need, and what we need to realise is that the problem with us begging for fairness, begging for getting what we deserve, the problem with that is that sometimes if we get what's coming to us, what we deserve, because we are so often perf- imperfect, then what's coming to us is not something that we want. It's not something we would enjoy one bit. Verse 1, out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. O Lord. And this guy, this psalmist is speaking from a place where he feels like he's in a pit, out of the depths. In fact, the message paraphrase says this, help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. Have you been there? The bottom has fallen out of my life. And obviously not every time that someone ends up in a circumstance where they feel like they're in a pit or the bottom has fallen out of their life, obviously not every time it's because they've done something wrong. In fact, we can come to a place of immense sadness, immense depths or sorrow, having done nothing wrong, perhaps because someone has done something to us or there's been some injustice. But I know for me, for those I do life with, I know I'm more than capable of putting myself in that pit, in making foolish decisions, sinful choices, selfishly motivated actions, and I end up in that pit, looking up, wondering a little bit how I got there, but sometimes knowing I have no one to blame but myself. And for whatever reason, I'm sure we've all experienced that feeling of the depths. Maybe it looks like stress or anxiety, frustration, remorse. But in this place, the psalmist makes a decision. I love that right up the front of this psalm is his decision. And what's that decision? It's to turn to God. From the depths of his frustration, grief, remorse, he turns to God. Out of the depths, I cry to you. I don't sit there and beat myself up all day. I don't blame everybody else. I turn to the one who can make a difference. Who do we turn to when we feel like we're in a pit? Who are we going to look to? Who do we think can throw us a rope to help us get out? And so this verse then leads into four things that the psalmist says really identifies. He doesn't use these words, but identifies as reasons to praise God because he doesn't act the way we, should, we think he should. Reasons to praise God because life is not fair. And the first one is the way he listens. The fact that when we cry, he listens. The psalmist end up in the pit, we know from the backstory, because he did something foolish. He did something wrong. But he turns to God anyway. Because he's counting on God listening to him even though he didn't listen to God. Have you ever ended up in a situation where you don't listen to God and you end up in a bad situation? And how hard is it to turn back and say, Yeah, God, I was wrong? But that's exactly what the psalmist is doing. The amazing thing about our God is just because we don't listen to him all the time, he all the time still listens to us. What an unfair God. Sometimes we wake our bed and when we cry out to God, if life was, life was fair, he'd say, you sleep in it. You're doing, I warned you. I tried to guide you elsewhere, but you chose this. But God's not like that. God doesn't give us what we deserve. We don't listen to him. We end up, end up in a pit. We cry out to God. He still listens to us. And the, the psalmist is counting on that. That's why he says in verse 2, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Because God's compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. He doesn't look at what we did yesterday and count them against us and say, oh, I'm just gonna give you the silent treatment for a while, see if you learn your lesson. No, God listens to us when we don't listen to Him. He still rejoices when we cry out to Him. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, "'Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. What an amazing unfair God that even when we don't listen, he does. We also can thank God and praise God this morning that he's unfair because of the way he forgives. The way he forgives, not only does he listen to us when we don't listen to him, but he willingly forgives us for things that he told us not to do in the first place. We see this in verse six, sorry, verse three, verse three. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Or in the message, if you, God, keep records of wrong, who would stand a chance? He's saying none of us would stand a chance if we had to stand on our own two feet before God and think that we could hold our own. If our ability to come to God depended on whether we'd done the right thing or the wrong thing, none of us, the psalmist says, stands a chance. We like to think that life should be fair. I know I've done, done this. I've stood there and I've raised my fist at God, which I'm allowed to do. The Bible tells me I can tell God what I think and said, you're doing a bad job at running this universe. If I was God, that person would be healed. If I was God, that person wouldn't be able to do that. If I was God, I'd rewind time so that person wouldn't get hurt. But we know really that if God gives us what we deserve, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. The psalmist is admitting from the pit of despair, I'm not tall enough to get out of this because I deserve to be in this. I put myself in here. Or our world's stuffed up and I've ended up in this pit because someone else has done the wrong thing and disobeyed God. But we must recognise that when we do things that are unjust, when other people do things that are unjust, that aren't God's best, God doesn't treat us as we deserve. The basis of our standing before God, the basis of everybody standing before God is based on what Jesus has done, not what we do. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We all fall short of one another, sorry, we all fall short in one way or another. We've all done things that we know we shouldn't. We've hurt people, we've sinned against God. But the Psalmist recognizes, verse four, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Or perhaps my favorite verse in this passage from the message, forgiveness is your habit. And that's why you've worshiped. Forgiveness is your habit. It's something that you can't control. I've got some pretty bad habits. When I'm nervous, I bite my fingernails and it's like, I don't even think about it. And I love thinking about that way with God. Forgiveness is his habit. He doesn't stop and think about whether we deserve it and weigh it up. It's just automatic. It's who God is. It's completely unfair. When we sin, the psalmist says, you shouldn't forgive us, God. We shouldn't be able to stand before you. We all have zero chance of getting into heaven or reconnecting with God by our good deeds. But our hope is not in our ability. Our hope is not in self-transformation or behavior modification, but rather our hope is in the mercy and the love of God. That's our hope. Exodus 34, we read that Moses asked God, Who are you? Who are you, God? And this is what Moses said. This is what God says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That's who God is. It's not just what He does, it's who He is, it's His very nature. I wonder if, in us becoming more like Christ, being made in the image of God, I wonder whether we can follow a bit more closely in those footsteps when people sin against us. Not treating people like they deserve, but extending grace, mercy, choosing to follow God's unfairness. Choose to forgive. I want, my ha- my, I want forgiveness to be my habit and I've got a long way to go, but maybe you can join me in seeking God for that for your life too. So not only does he listen to us, when we don't listen to him. Not only does he forgive us when we don't deserve it, but he also heals us. The way he heals us is unfair. Salvation is in an instant. When we come to God, he saves us, he forgives us. It's like we've never sinned. But actually, deliverance is a process. Deliverance is a process. We all have wounds and baggage and drama and areas we need delivered. And forgiveness, the psalmist says, is more than we deserve, but God takes it one step further. He changes us. He heals us. He transforms our life. And the Bible says that he seeks to conform us to the image of his son. And that's his process. Forgiveness is more than we deserve, but he takes it a step further. I was thinking about this last week when on a different Passage that we were sharing in our life group about life not being fair. And we're thinking of the prodigal son. And again, that, that injustice always burns in me. That prodigal son was forgiven and welcomed back into the house, which was more than he deserved. But actually, the father took it a step farther, further. The father took it a step further. <laughs> he forgives him and throws him a party. He puts, the, he, he, what is it, bur- the, kills the fattened calf, puts on a party. Gives him a robe, gives him a ring. Totally not fair. God is not fair. He truly does heal us and give us the chance to go from grace to grace, build us, grow our life. So how does this healing work itself out? Verses 5 to 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. I think Sandra had done her homework. (laughs) And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. There's three postures here in in healing, I suppose. If we're going to be a part of healing, there's three things that we need to do. And the first one is wait. Whether we like it or not, when we need healing, we have to wait. Wait for lots of medical people when it's physical healing, but any sort of healing, we wait on God. We seek him, we pray It's more than coming to him once for forgiveness like salvation is, but it's a process of continually coming to God, asking what he wants, seeking him. Waiting for the Lord is how we're healed. And then it says we don't just wait for the Lord, but in his word we hope. In his word I do hope. We hope in his word. And how do we hope in his word? By reading it. By gathering as you're doing this morning and hearing his word, being reminded of his word, being reminded how good he is and the fact he wants to be there with us. He is here with us. We also need to look at his word in our own time, small groups, reading his word individually, applying it to our lives, waiting for the Lord, hoping in his word. And lastly, this verse says, by watching expectantly, like those who watch for the morning. Anyone seen a sunrise? intentionally got up early to see a sunrise? Anyone just not put up their hand when I say anyone? You know, (laughs) actually a few of you that don't put up your hand just said that. Most of us have got up early at some stage to see a sunrise, right? I did that about a month or so ago when I was in Tasmania. Um, I got up for two mornings early, really early to see the sunrise and at one stage there was like 40 something of us sitting on this helicopter pad watching out for this sunrise and it was getting light but the cloud was so thick that we still couldn't actually see the sun and we're all looking and wondering exactly where it's supposed to be and it doesn't surprise you for me to tell you that Phil took out his phone um, to and had something on there that should show where the sun is and we worked out we were all looking slightly in the wrong direction but it took a while we could see evidence of the sun right it was getting light but it was so cloudy that it was really hard to see where it was going to peak out from and we waited till after the time was that we thought it that should have been showing and eventually out from the clouds popped this beautiful little pink sun tiny and then disappeared again back under the clouds for a while. But we knew it was there. But but you know what the psalmist means when he says watching expectantly, you know, like, where is it? Come on, I've got up early for this. Where is it? The sun finally emerges eventually. In in the ditch, as we wait, as we watch. Sometimes we don't see God. People around us say they're praying. We know that God's there somewhere, but we don't see him. He doesn't seem to be showing up in the way that we expect. But God is there, and as we wait, as we hope, and as we watch expectantly for him, we will see him because God isn't, isn't, un, isn't fair. He shows up despite the fact that we've done stuff wrong, despite the fact that we slacken off a bit, despite the fact that we do harm to others. He's there, ready to heal, forgive, listen. And finally... The final unfair, crazy thing about God is the way that he helps us make good. He helps us make good. Even when we do something we know we shouldn't have done or he's told us not to do, he still takes our cause, he still answers our prayers, he's still there to hear us and heal us, but he also knows that we feel bad. I wonder if some of us are there today where we feel bad about something we've done maybe a long time ago, Maybe not that long ago, maybe really recent. And we have this sense of regret, remorse. We wish it could be different. Maybe the relationship that's been severed, the situation. We're forgiven, we're changed, we're healed. But we don't always get to see a resolve. We don't always get to see things fixed. But God is so good that he does, the scripture tells us, he works opportunities in our life if we walk with him faithfully to help us make good on some of the damage that we've done to ourselves and to others. Psalm 130 verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption. Redemption, a chance to do over. There's plenty of things, not massive things, but plenty of little things, words I've said, things I've done that I would do over if I could, and I can't. And life's not generally like that, but God is so good that he gives us the chance and opportunity to do good in ways that may undo some damage or may help others to prevent them from doing the same damage to their lives. Things can't be taken away, but God gives opportunity because he's a God of a second chance, a God of redemption. In fact, the Bible says there's not just redemption, but listen to it in the Passion Translation. that God, With God, he has a thousand ways to set you free. Maybe you're looking for redemption or for a second chance in one way, but God's like, no, actually, I want to use you to influence a whole lot of people because of that mistake you made. You can't take that back. You can't change that situation. But you can be set free in a thousand other ways. He's the God of possibilities. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the, the, the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I will restore to you, redeem to you, make good for you. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let his labour, working with his hands, the thing which is good. In other words, it's not just about not stealing, it's not just about not hurting. It's, it's kind of equal and opposite fashion. We're able to make good and see in that redemption, that, that restitution, where there was once hurt, that area can be a source of healing. I wonder how that applies to your life today. Is there some way that you've been hurt, either by something you've done or something that someone else has done for you, done to you? And maybe God wants to use that to make good in other people's lives. Ask him today. He's a good God. He listens. He hears, he heals, and he also redeems. This is redemption, not not what we deserve, because God is unfair. He doesn't treat us how we deserve. And therefore, there can be a bright future even after our biggest failure. Do you believe that? There can be a bright future even after our biggest failure. You know, most of the time, I'm still going to wish that life was fair. Let's be real this morning. Something's going to go wrong and I'm going to wish that life was fair. But on a big picture this morning, I hope that you can join me and the psalmist in saying, God, thank you that you don't treat me like I deserve. Remind me of your presence. Remind me of your listening ear. Remind me of your forgiveness and help me to be a little bit more like you. We're going to sing a song This morning, that helps us to picture the original context of these verses. You know, we can rest in the promises of God, and therefore our response should be to worship. These Jews that would travel to Jerusalem, they'd take five to seven days on the road, and they would do this for the sole purpose of worship because that was their response to God, who wasn't fair. So as they walked, they reminded themselves, you know, it might have been hot and the conditions might have been dangerous. We've talked a little bit about that the last few weeks. But ultimately, they're like, we would do anything for God because he doesn't treat us how we deserve. He treats us how he is, with love and compassion and mercy. So this morning, as the ensemble sings, we've sung it for a few weeks now. If you know the words, you're welcome to join in. But otherwise, you can just reflect on those words. Beautiful words. Beautiful words about pursuing God, us pursuing God, when we find ourselves in the pit. But just as equally, this song reminds us that God comes running for us. God comes running for us with kindness, with love, and with mercy. So this morning, if you're feeling a bit like you're in a pit, tell God how you feel. Listen to what he wants to say to you this morning. Maybe it would help to come and to kneel at the place of prayer and to say, God, I don't even know where to go to now. Give me the next steps. Show me how you can make good of this situation. And God is faithful. He does what he says he would do. Even though that sometimes doesn't look fair to us. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we listen and sing this morning.